After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your daughter, for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love for her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him, gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, so, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God, who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named her Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, 
Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor, because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dina. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Good evening. Nice to see you all. My name is Paul. If I haven't met you, do you want to turn back to Genesis 29 and 30? It makes uh, sex in the city look really quite dull and boring, these chapters. Um, I want to start with what I believe to be a true statement. Uh, we all long to be loved. Is that true? We all long to be loved. At the core of our being as human beings, there's this desire to be loved and to love other people. Just to know there's somebody who is there and someone who cares, somebody who might say those three important words, I love you. That's what it means to be human. Because as men and women, we are created in the image of God. And so to be created in the image of God, it's not just that we are rational beings, that we are relational beings. Because God, as a trinity, is in a loving relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be God. That's what it means to be human. So as human beings, we are created in the image of God to, to be loved and to love other people. And you know that's true. From birth, we are all craving the love of parents. We just want our parents to say, I love you. I love you. That's our security. That's our safe place. As we grow older, we, we crave friendship love. We want those people in life who will be there, who will care, who will do life with us. Uh, some of us pursue romantic love, intimacy, companionship. That's good. It is right that as human beings, we are made to be loved. I'm not just talking about sexual love or romantic. I'm talking about agape love. I'm talking about that selfless, sacrificial, uh, other person-centered kind of love. And, and you know it, and you want it, and you long for it. And when we as human beings don't experience love, uh, we, 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 we crave it, we yearn for it. And the problem is that too many people pursue love in all the wrong places and all the wrong kind of ways. Some of us here tonight will try to buy love. You'll think that 
if you suck up to people and please people, they might just love you. And that is exhausting. <laughs> Others of us here, when we don't feel love, we, we, we start to find our security, our, our, our worth, our value in the stuff that we do, you know, the work that we do, or our looks, or our fitness, or our intellect, and thinking that we can replace human love with all this stuff, and it doesn't work. Now, to be human means that we are made to love. I heard of a story of a man who was so starved of human love that he went to the barbers every single week to get a haircut because that was the only time of the week where he experienced human contact and touch. Isn't that depressing? As a pastor, I meet with many people who just have this aching for love. I'm not just talking about romantic love, just friendship. There's an epidemic in our world. It's not just loneliness, it's lovelessness. People craving to be loved. I, I meet with married couples and, and they're in loveless marriages. They are, are two independent people coexisting and their whole life is shaped around tasks and agenda, but not love. Or, or I meet uh, kids who are being used as pawns in their parental fights who can love them the most. Perhaps worse, I, I meet people who are being abused by people who claim to love them. Or people who want friendships, but it feels like the more they give to somebody, the more that that person just takes but doesn't really love them. It is tragic, because we are created to be loved. But it's not just human love, it, it, it's divine love, that you are created in the image of God to, to know that you are deeply loved by God, to know that God loves you. And those three words, we just chuck around, don't we? God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, as though that makes any sense. It doesn't make sense. Why would the omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, all-holy God choose to love us? That is crazy. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. Our feelings change all the time. Human love is fickle, but God's love for you is constant, unchanging, unquestionable. And the irony is that while God doesn't need us, he wants us and he loves us. You are more loved than you would ever know. As today we're talking about love, and my main goal is that you leave here knowing that you are deeply, profoundly loved. So in Genesis 29 and 30, it's a messed up love story. The story of Leah, Rachel, and a ragbag called Jacob. It's more of a Shakespearean kind of tragic love with unrequited love and manipulative love and menage a trois love. So turn to Genesis 29. And tonight, I just want to retell the story because that's how you're supposed to read the Old Testament, not break into small manageable chunks, but to get in the big picture. I've called scene one, love at first sight. Love at first sight, chapter 29, verse one. Then Jacob, remember he is a cold, calculating, callous, self-serving, self-seeking, horrible, heartless git. 
Jacob, who is fleeing from his brother Esau, he continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. And there he saw a well in the open country. Now, in your Bible, when you read the word well, you're supposed to think a place to find a spouse, a place to find a wife. Is it like an like a Old Testament dating app where you swipe left and swipe right? That's what he's there for. He's looking for a wife. He's chatting to the blokes at the well. Remember, Jacob is your smooth-skinned, manscaped mummy's boy. But he's a man with a swagger. He's arrogant. Verse 9, while he was still talking with them, with the shepherds, uh, Rachel came. And he's blown away by her because she is so beautiful. And, and he tries to show his, his muscles by, by moving this stone from the well. That, that would normally take two blokes, but he does it single-handedly. He's out to impress her. He sees her, he's attracted to her, he kisses her, and that's how they meet love at first sight. Scene two, I've called seven years till the wedding night. Look at verse 13. As soon as Laban, Uncle Laban, heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, so his nephew, Laban hurried to meet Jacob, embraced Jacob, kissed him, brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. And you read that, and you're thinking, what things did Jacob tell him? Did Jacob tell Laban how he cheated Esau at his birthright and blessing? Did he tell him about he was fleeing from his family? Did he tell him he was seeking a wife? We don't know. But we've met Laban before, and Laban is a manipulative, nasty piece of work. He loves money, but Jacob has no money. Jacob has no gold, no silver, no camels. He has nothing. We're told that Laban has two daughters, an older and the younger, but the younger is the favorite that being any alarm bells, deja vu? Look at verse 16. Now, now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and that's a very unfortunate name because the name Leah means wild cow. <laughs> but the name of the, of the younger was Rachel. That's a beautiful name. It's little lamb. So you've got wild cow and you've got little lamb. Verse 17, Leah had weak eyes. No one knows what that really means, but she's plain. Leah is dull. She has no sparkle in her eyes. But, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Of course she does. She's drop-dead gorgeous. So you've got wild cow and little lamb. You've got plain Leah and pretty Rachel. And you imagine that Leah spent her entire life being looked on with pity. Poor, poor, plain, ugly Leah. The killer punch is verse 18, where we're told that Jacob was in love with Rachel. Of course he was. Like most blokes, shallow, driven by looks, lust, look at the externals and forget the character. Can we stop perpetuating the so-called beauty myth? Please, blokes, please. Anyway, Jacob was in love with Rachel, hopelessly devoted. Not, not agape love, romantic love, sexual love. He's willing to do anything for her. Verse 18, I'll work seven, seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. That is a crazy, massive bridal price. So Jacob's got nothing. If he wants to marry Rachel, he has to pay a dowry. But three years would have sufficed. He goes over the top, I'll, I'll work seven years, that's how much I love you. He's willing to wait seven years for this woman. 
because true love waits. And many Christians need to hear that today. True love waits. Keep meeting men who say, I can't wait. I love her so much. I want to make love to her. You can wait. Wait. Love her well by respecting her. Verse 20 is a swoon verse. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Isn't that beautiful? Anyway, scene three we call shock at first light. So Jacob's counting down the days and finally the seven years are over. And he, he's not subtle in verse 21. There's no please. He says, give me my wife. I've done my time. I want to make love to her. Verse 22, the, the wedding plans start, the feast is planned, the, the bride and groom are there. And you've got to understand, in those days, at a, at a wedding, the bride would be covered from, from head to toe, veiled from head to toe. You, you had no idea who was under there. And in those days, only the groom and the father of the bride spoke. And now you might understand how easy verse 23 is. When evening came... Laban took his daughter, Leah, a bit of a switcheroo. And he brought Leah to Jacob, and Jacob made love to Leah. And I'm sure he'd been planning it, because he, he knew how much Jacob wanted Rachel. He wanted to take advantage of him. The quick swap, Leah for Rachel. I don't know whether I'm the only one, but I've got so many questions going through my head. <laughs> like, what did they do with Rachel? Did they lock her in a cupboard somewhere? Or was she in on this? Why did Leah consent to this? I mean, was Leah also in love with Jacob? Was this Leah's one chance of marriage? Or was Leah a nasty piece of work who wanted to get revenge on her pretty sister? I may not be as pretty as you, but I'll get the handsome hunk. Anyway, verse 25, the, the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning, and... Jacob is about to start his wonderful new married life with his beloved Rachel, and he's smiling to himself, and he thinks he's won the lottery, and he rolls over, and there was Leah. Did he scream? What did he say? What did Leah say? How did Leah feel? We're supposed to ask those kinds of questions. We know what he said to Laban, verse 25. He said, why have you deceived me, deceived me, deceived me. I wonder whether the word echoed in Jacob's mind, sort of, it's sort of like poetic justice. The deceiver Jacob had been deceived big time. He reaped what he sowed. Anyway, Laban tries to worm his way out. Verse 26, he says, it's not our custom for the younger daughter to marry before the older one. So here's the deal, Jacob. You can have Rachel. Just sleep with Leah for one week and then you can have Rachel if you work for me for another seven years. Verse 28, and Jacob did so. So seven more years, he got, he got his wife. And it's a beautiful story because Jacob's got two wives and two concubines. And it all ends happily ever after. I don't think so. They all hate each other. Verse 30, Jacob made love to Rachel also. Isn't that a horrible word, also? <laughs> as well as the other woman. But his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. That is a recipe for disaster. You've got two warring sisters married to the same man. One is pretty, one is plain, one is love, one is unloved. 
And the husband, Jacob, makes it obvious every single day which wife he prefers. This is not a happy home. Scene four is the feuding wives fight. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, isn't that horrible? Leah was not loved. He enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. This is sad. This is tragic. Leah unloved by Jacob, but God opens her womb. Rachel is loved by her husband, but God closes her womb. Two desperate women. One desperate to be loved by her husband, and one desperate to have children. Let me have a a, a quick pastoral moment for 7 p.m. church. I know there are many people in this room tonight who would love to be married, longing for a spouse. And many people here who are longing for children. And I don't want to be insensitive. I just want to retell the story. Leah is remarkably fertile. Four sons just pop out of her. But every time she gives birth, you, you get this picture of this woman who is achingly, desperately unloved. Son number one, number one, she calls Reuben. It means behold, a son. Verse 32, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Isn't that sad? She's thinking perhaps I could buy my husband's love by, by giving him a child. A tragedy, I've seen that too many times in marriage, thinking that give him a child and then he'll love me. That never works. Perhaps a second son will melt his heart. As you read these chapters, did you notice that even though Jacob didn't love Leah, he's still more than willing to have sex with her? That is wrong, isn't it? He's so selfish. He's so immoral. Sexual intimacy without any agape love. Anyway, the second son is born, and they call him Simeon. It means hearing. And I think verse 33 is a tragic verse. Because the Lord has heard that I am not loved. That, that's how Leah defines herself. Not loved. Not wanted. Unseen. Unknown. Uncared for. And if you're here tonight and, and that is your experience in life, that you feel unloved, can I gently say to you, you are not unloved, you are deeply, deeply loved. Anyway, Jacob still loves Rachel. And Leah thinks, if, if I can give him a third son, then surely he will love me. She's so desperate. Verse 34, now at last my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So they name him Levi, which means attached, because that's what she really craves for, human attachment. But Leah's life, Leah's attitude changes in verse 35. It is such a beautiful change. Verse 35, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, which means praise the Lord. And I love that. She, she stops naming her children after her pain and the longings of her heart. And she starts to name them after God. Praise God. It's like she's flicked a switch. Now, now she's focused on God. She's at the point in her life where she could praise God even though she hasn't got what she wanted. 
What she really wanted was the love of her husband, but she, at a point in her life where she hasn't got that yet, but she's able still to praise God, that's a great place to be. To know that God sees and God knows, the Lord has heard me, she says, the Lord has seen my misery, and that changes her. And again, you may be here tonight, and can I say that the only way to stop yourself becoming full of bitterness, to stop yourself being angry with God because there's something that you really, really, really want that you haven't got, the only way to do that is to, to stop focusing what you haven't got and begin to praise God. He does see you. He does hear you. He does care. And trust me, when you stop defining yourself by stupid words like unloved, unwanted, uncared for, when you stop defining yourself like that and start to start to say God sees, God knows, God cares, and start to praise him, then your life will change. Trust me. Verse 35. Then Leah stopped having children. And we're not told why. Perhaps Jacob stopped sleeping with her. Perhaps Rachel forbid her from sleeping with her. Maybe the Lord closed her womb. We don't know. But we do know this. We know that Leah felt unloved, but she was deeply loved. And it's through Leah's bloodline in the Bible that you get the tribe of the Levites, the priestly line. It's through Leah's bloodline that you get the tribe of Judah, the, the kingly line. It's through the line of Leah that you get King David. It's through the line of Leah that you get a man called Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's how much the Lord loved and valued Leah. She was the chosen vehicle for the line of the Messiah. That blows your mind. So Leah is unloved. That's how she defines herself. Uh, Rachel enters in chapter 30, and I think we're supposed to feel sorry for her. She's got this great beauty, but she lives in despair. I've seen that many, many times. Outwardly beautiful, seemingly blessed, but desperate ache, deep longing in your heart. That is, Leah, that is Rachel. 30 verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. Of course she did. Every day she's forced to watch these four beautiful little boys running around with names like uh, wanted, named like honoured. It's crazy. Now what, what happens, friends, is when you don't get what you really, 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 really want and when you see people have what you really, really want, if you allow your heart to become full of jealousy and envy and bitterness, then it makes you an envious jealous and bitter person. It starts to consume you. Please don't go down that track. Now, now Rachel knew that kids were a gift from God, but emotionally she's just desperate. So she takes matters into her own hands. Plan A is surrogacy. Crazy plan. Surely she's heard of Hagar and how that ended. But when you're so desperate, you'll do anything, won't you? Verse 3, here's Bilhar. Take my maidservant, sleep with her. You can have a child by her. And that's what he does. They call him Dan, verse 6. Because vindicated, that's how she sees it. She's been vindicated by God. Another son with Bilhar, 
in verse 7, they call him Naphtali, which means fight or wrestle, because that's how Rachel sees her life. It's a daily battle, a daily wrestle with her wretched sister, her fertile sister Leah. It's like this, this fighting, this war is happening. Four sons to nil. Rachel's closing the gap. Four sons to two. And then Leah steps back in and she says, I've stopped having kids, but how about you sleep with my maidservant? And it all gets absolutely crazy. Verse 9, Leah takes her servant Zilpah and gives her to Jacob, and Jacob sleeps with her. Of course he does. And they call him Gad, which means good fortune. Another son is called Happy or Asher. And you read this, you think Leah's a bit catty. Happy. You imagine saying, Rachel, I may be plain, but at least I'm happy. Are you happy, Rachel? Oh, you're so pretty, but are you really happy because you've got no children? It's just vicious and nasty. These two women who are using their kids as pawns for love. And again, I've seen that. And then you're thinking, surely this dysfunctional family can't get any more messed up. Oh, yes, they can. Verse 14, Reuben's about nine years old by now. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out to the fields and found some mandrake plants. What the heck are they? Mandrakes are yellowish, plum-sized fruits. They're called love apples. And you've got to understand this, that mandrakes were superstitiously aphrodisiacs. They're like a fertility drug. And Reuben's getting some love apples, some fertility drugs for Leah, his mum. And you're thinking, why does she need it? She's popping out kids left, right and centre. But at least Rachel's polite this time, verse 14. She says, please give me some fertility drugs. And, and Leah's the bitter one, verse 15. Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's love apples as well? And this is where it gets completely bonkers. Verse 15. Very well, says Rachel. Jacob can sleep with you, Leah, tonight if you give me your son's mandrakes. Isn't that crazy? I'll give you Jacob for one night of sex in exchange for some fertility drugs. And why did Leah sleep with him? I think she slept with him because she's just desperate to be loved and she thinks if she has sex with him, he might just love her. Many persons have thought that. Verse 16. Jacob enters the story. He comes in from the fields that evening. I'm sure he's tired. I reckon... Jacob wanted to sit down, put his feet up, open a beer, and then Leah appears. And she said, you must sleep with me tonight. I've hired you for sex tonight, one night of sex with me for the price of my son's love apples. And Jacob slept with her. Of course he does. He doesn't love her, but he's ruled by his penis. And surprise, surprise, Leah falls pregnant again. Another son called Issachar, which means reward. Another son called Zebula, which means honoured. And this is the most crazy story. Let me ask you, who do you feel most sorry for? Leah or Rachel? I could have a vote. Who, who wants to vote for Rachel? Who wants to vote for Leah? I think we're supposed to read it and feel sorry for both of these poor, desperate, sad women. Because they're both treated appallingly badly. Now, now Rachel is there, and she is desperate for children. She's having her, her face rubbed into every single day by these kids running around called honoured, vindicated, rewarded, loved. 
But then you've got Leah. And Leah is the real victim. Because from the day she was born, she was verbally abused. Her father sold her for cash. Her husband uses her for sex. He doesn't love her. He just wants to sleep with her. I'm sure if Leah was here tonight, she would say, I've been used all my life. And it's been said that, that people are supposed to be loved and things are supposed to be used and don't get that the wrong way around. Maybe you need to hear that tonight. Stop using people and start loving people. So they're both victims. You feel for both, and they're both desperate. Verse 22 is a turning point. God remembered Rachel. It's a beautiful verse. God remembered her. He hadn't forgotten her. He saw her. He was with her, and he listened to her. That, that's an important phrase. She's obviously started to call out to God. She started to pray. She's tried surrogacy. She tried the mandrake madness, and now she's praying. She's depending. She's pleading. She's asking. She's leaning on God, and God listens, and God answers, and God opens her womb. Now, please listen very, 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 very carefully. I am not saying, I am not saying that if you pray that God will give you your deepest longings. I'm not saying that. I'm not suggesting that if you haven't got your deepest longings of your heart, that you haven't prayed hard enough. That is horrendous, damaging, wrong teaching. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. But God in his kindness hears her cries and gives her the son that she longs for. And from these two desperate women come the 12 tribes of Israel. Did you realize that? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin are the 12 tribes of Israel because God keeps his promises through these messed up, dysfunctional people. And that's why I love Genesis, because you and I are in this story. Deep down, all of us here are longing to be loved, yes? We're all longing to be loved. We just be, be wanted to be needed. Some people here tonight will feel unloved. Maybe all your lives you felt unwanted, unseen, uncared for. You need to hear that you are loved. Some of us here will feel in utter despair because there's something in your life that you really, 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 really desperately need and you define yourself by that one thing and you think that you're not loved because you haven't got that thing. That is a lie. But all of us here need to hear the words, I love you, I love you, I love you. From a spouse, from a friend, from a parent, from anybody. And maybe God's saying to you tonight, just tell somebody that you love them. Tell them tonight, text them tonight. That's what it means to be human. Many of you will know that the Dale family, our family is about to foster. And God willing, that would happen this Friday. But when you enter the world of fostering kids, you meet so many people who are just longing for some love. This is a story of Tori, who is from the U.S., not from, not from Australia, a U.S. story. This is Tori's story. I grew up in the foster care system. I absorbed a message that I was worthless, unwanted, unloved. I went to church where I heard a message about forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and I responded to that altar call to give my life to Jesus because, quote, I thought I'd find some relief in my pain. 
But as I moved from foster home to foster home to foster home, unwanted, uncared for, my heart grew cold towards God. My peers would poke fun at my daddy issues. At the time, I believed having a father would solve all my problems, just someone to love me. But I had no father. So I started dating older men, throwing myself at older men, craving love. One day I was painting a mural when a pastor stopped to chat to me. I ranted to him about my anger towards God. He said, Tori, God doesn't just forgive you, God loves you. This may be angry. He said this, God is love. This is love, 1 John 4, not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son, the Lord Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. That's how much God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He said, Tory, Christianity is not a transactional forgiveness. It's known that you are deeply, profoundly loved. Forgiveness always flows from love. Tory, you have a father. You have a father in heaven who sees you, knows you, cares for you, is there for you, and loves you. Tory, you have been let down by human beings. But people will always let you down. People will not love you perfectly. But God will. Then he sang a song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure. And I understood that God really, really, really did love me. You understood that? God loves the unloved. That's Leah's story. She's desperate to be loved. She defines herself as unwanted, unseen, and unlovable. God loves the unloved. And that's a truth that you need to hear. It was a truth for Leah. She, she grasped that the Lord saw her, heard her, accepted her, and loved her and cared for her. Max Licardo says this, God loves you simply because he's chosen to love you. God loves you when you don't feel lovely. God loves you when no one else loves you. Others may abandon you, divorce you, ignore you, but God will love you always, no matter what. This is God's sentiment, Romans 9, 25. I will call the unloved and make them my beloved. This is God's promise, Jeremiah 31. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. And I would add, Romans 5, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're feeling unloved tonight, look at the cross of Christ and hear God shout at you, I love you, I love you, I love you. This is how much I love you. Stop seeing the cross as a transactional act of forgiveness and start seeing the cross as a place where God demonstrates the depth, the height, the message of his love for you. Who else could love you like that? You don't deserve that, but that's what Jesus did for you. Who did Jesus love? Jesus did not just love the pretty ones, the successful ones, the somebodies. He, he loved the plain ones, the prostitutes, the destitute, the sick, the lame, the lepers, the tax the sinners. The people who every day felt unseen, unknown, and unloved, and they're the ones that Jesus really loved. So if you're feeling unloved tonight, you've got to go and bathe in the love of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Spend time with him. Plumb the depth of who he is. See yourself through his lens. Stop seeing yourself through the lens of yourself or other people's view of you. You are not worthless. You are not unseen. 
You are deeply, deeply, deeply loved. God loves the people in despair. That is Rachel's story. Desperate for kids, living with that wretched, fertile sister. I think Rachel is such a contemporary figure because externally she is beautiful. Externally, she has it all together. She's got the husband. She's got the house. She's got the lifestyle. But internally, she is aching. There's a deep hurt and deep, 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 deep despair. And I keep meeting many people like that. Externally beautiful, externally blessed, but deep internally despair and turmoil. The pop singer Robbie Williams, who had everything the world has to offer, says, I just want to feel loved. And if that is you tonight, 30 verse 22 are some beautiful words. God remembered Rachel. God remembers you. God doesn't define you by what you have. He defines you by how he sees you. And he says, you are special and you are mine. I don't know what burdens you're carrying, but I do know that God loves you. It's been said, you don't really know Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. You don't really know Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. And, and, And maybe God needs to take you to rock bottom like he's taken me in the past to take everything away until all you've got is Jesus and then you realize that's all that you need. You don't need anything the, the, the deep, 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 deep love of Jesus. So if it's a simple message, God loves you. God loves us. He loves the unloved, the desperate, the arrogant, the proud, the independent, the overbearing, the self-centered, the immoral. He just loves everybody. That is God. God is, is love. Carbart, the eminent theologian, was once asked, what's the most profound theological truth you've ever, ever discovered? And this guy's got a brain the size of a planet. What's the most profound theological truth you've ever discovered? And he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. So you don't have a deep PhD in theology, you just know that Jesus loves you. God's love for you is like the ocean. You can see its beginning, but you can never, ever see its end. He'll keep on loving you deeper and deeper and deeper until the day you meet him face to face. So I'm going to pray a prayer for us tonight. Pray a prayer that we would actually believe that we are really loved by God. It's on the screen. I'll read it first. It goes like this. Dear God, thank you for creating me to love and to be loved. Thank you for your extraordinary love for me. Thank you that Jesus loved me enough to die in my place. Sorry I have rejected your love, questioned your love, sought love in the things of this world. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. And please help me to live from this day forward knowing that I am loved deeply by you. In the name of Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Amen. So will you pray that prayer with me? I'm going to pray it slowly, and you might want to echo it in your own heart. Dear God, thank you for creating me to love and to be loved. Thank you for your extraordinary love for me. 
Thank you that Jesus loved me enough to die in my place. Sorry that I have rejected your love, questioned your love, sought love in the things of this world. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward knowing that I am deeply loved by you. In the name of Jesus, my Lord and my Savior.